you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. The reason we want to see more queer entrepreneurs is because queer entrepreneurs are doing some amazing things. And we want to see more queer entrepreneurs do more amazing things. A perfect example of this is our friend and colleague, Jen T. Grace. Jen has a couple of businesses, most notably and recently her publishing company, Publisher Purpose. Jen started Publisher Purpose because she realized that she could have a bigger impact on the world by helping more people share their amazing and inspiring stories. Publisher Purpose specializes in helping nonfiction authors publish their books in a high-quality way. On this episode of Queer Money, Jen shares more about how she started Publisher Purpose and how she became the professional lesbian, your LGBTQ business strategist, published four books of her own, launched a speaking and podcasting career, and is a leader in the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce community. Jen will inspire you. This episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Budget Buster Bundle. Budget like a badass with the Budget Buster Bundle that you can get at the Debt Free Guys shop at debtfreeguys.com forward slash shop. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, Jen T. Grace to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. This is awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think that we were on your podcast. Ooh. A year and a half, two years ago? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's been it, a long time. It certainly has, but yeah. it was awesome to have you then, and I'm happy to be here now. Exactly. Definitely. And we were, we had the privilege of being reacquainted with you when we were at the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce in Philadelphia last August. It was very nice to be able to hang out and meet you face to face. Right. <laughs> yes. It was really awesome seeing you there, because I know that we had talked about that quite some time back, and then to see you there and with all your podcasting equipment and <laughs> interviewing a lot of people. I was like, yes, they came in with a bang. That's, that's right. I, I think that you made a guest appearance on uh, on that NGLCC yeah, conference did. recap. Yeah. I did. As yep. well. So we'll link, yeah. link back to that in the uh, show notes for this episode. But it was great to have you on there as well. Exactly. Yeah, my pleasure. So we have you on Queer Money to talk about a couple of things. One, being an entrepreneur as an LGBTQ person, but also you have a relatively new endeavor since we first engaged with you, and that's your, you decided to take on the publishing industry. You're like the Oprah for gay people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I would love to be the Oprah for gay people. Yes. (laughs) So you have a new business called Publish with a Purpose. What, where did this come from? (laughs) Yeah, so I will try to keep it a short story, but essentially I've had an LGBTQ consulting company and I've been working in the LGBTQ space since 2006. And that's kind of morphed and changed over the years in terms of just identifying what I like to do versus things that I would rather not be doing. And in 2015, I had a lot of people who were asking me how I wrote my books. And I've written four specifically on the LGBTQ topic. And I had a lot of people who were just saying, well, how did you do it? How did you do it? And so I started doing some coaching under my LGBTQ consulting umbrella for people in the community who were looking to write books that are going to you know, basically help their business, their career, not necessarily on LGBTQ as a topic, but just rather that they are an LGBTQ person. Mm-hmm. 
So from there, I decided, you know, I want to do more of this because I'm really inspired by helping people. And for me, I like things that have definitive beginning, middles and ends. And books are certainly (laughs) one way to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've, I've done a lot of consulting work and sometimes the consulting work just drags on and on and on and there's no measurable results. And I really like to see results. And with books, you can, you know, there's a really good trackable ways to do that. So I basically decided to start a group program where I was showing people how to basically how to publish a book, not necessarily the writing, but you know, what are the logistics? What are the things that you need to know? And how can you save money, time, stress, etc. by just knowing what you're doing from the onset of starting a project. And that kind of led into, you know, people, I had shown them how to do it, but then they wanted me to do it for them. So that kind of, you know, all of a sudden it was like, surprise, I have a publishing company. So here I am a couple years later. (laughs) That's awesome. So I think this is a great service that you're providing people because so often, I mean, we've met so many people who have said, I would love to write a book. I have this book in my head. I've got this, been working on this idea for years and I just can't figure out how to do it. How do you write a book? So now the answer is talk to Jen T. Grace. You bet. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, it's, it can be a really painful project if you don't know what you're doing. And for me, what I really try to do the most of is like, how do I help people save that time and headache? Because whether you're traditionally publishing a book, self-publishing or going with a hybrid press, which is what we are, regardless of how you do that, you still have to have a base understanding of the industry and know what you need to do because there's a lot of people out there that are going to try to take advantage of you. And that's what I'm trying to avoid for everybody because there's no reason to be taken advantage of. But if you don't know what you don't know, it can be really easy to spend a lot of money that you don't need to spend. That's very, very helpful. There are a lot of people who are happy to take advantage of you. Even though we've had our books published for years now, we still get phone calls from companies that want to republish our book for a convenient rate. (laughs) Yeah. And you don't need that. You know, (laughs) you don't need that nonsense. You already did all the hard work. Don't let somebody come in and kind of take, take what you've already created. Exactly. So what is the purpose of Publish with a Purpose? Because I think from our discussion in Philadelphia, it's more than just publishing books and making money. You have like a higher level calling from this, don't you? Absolutely. So yeah, publishing the book is, of course, kind of the end result, but it's a lot bigger than that. I kind of had this aha moment a couple of years ago where I was hired to speak on some LGBTQ topic. And I kind of had this like revelation that, you know, I'm standing here in front of however, you know, whatever size audience this is. But if I were the person that was kind of behind the scenes and driving the driving force to help other thought leaders really kind of step into to their space, then I could be making so much bigger of an impact on the world. Because I can think of all the times, you know, I speak on a a really regular basis. And, you know, sometimes it's a really small, intimate audience of corporate people, and it's like 20 people. And other times it's, you know, two or 3,000. But at the end of the day, my bandwidth is limited. So if I and my team can be behind the scenes helping other people like me or people like you, then that, that, ability to impact can be exponentially greater. So 
for us, it's really, it's not necessarily, like I said, the book is, is yes, the deliverable, but it's more so how do we help authors build their thought leadership platform in a really strategic way? So they're not just impacting people by the sale of their book, but they're impacting larger audiences because now they're an author and now they can charge more money for that speak engagement or, you know, how can they use their book to kind of pass along to other people to help marginalized communities? So, a lot of our authors, or I would say the majority of our authors, are in some way what I guess on the surface you would consider marginalized. I don't necessarily view them that way. But if I look at the data from our authors, I know that about 65% of our authors are women, and then about 55% are part of the LGBTQ community. So we're definitely slightly in the majority on the LGBTQ side, which is amazing. And, you know, 87% of them are business owners. So it's really like we're really focused on business owners who are trying to scale their businesses and really make an impact. So again, you know, the book is yes, what they get, but they're getting a lot more more than that because we're really focused on strategy. I love it. I love everything you just said, but there was something that just really caught my attention is Mm -hmm. this idea that you said that on the surface, they may appear as marginalized, but you don't like to think of them that way. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that we were going to maybe kind of broach this topic a little bit later, but I think this is a a good place to insert this. So we live in this world where we are often our community or just media in general is talking about wage gaps, whether it's the gender pay gap or it's the sexual orientation or gender identity Mm -hmm. pay gaps. And so we can kind of get accustomed to labeling ourselves as, well, I live in this space, so I cannot make that much money because I Mm -hmm. am this label. And it sounds like you're trying to maybe break free from that. Maybe could you just kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I 100%. So there's this whole, I don't really know what the psychology reference is for this, but basically it's almost like a survival mechanism where we as people kind of tell ourselves a different story than what the reality might actually be. You know, if you go back to your youth, and this is kind of like collective you, Mm -hmm. and you go back to your youth and you start thinking, uh, oh, wow, like my life was really easy or I, you know, I had no problems growing up or, you know, all of these different kind of like fairy tales that we tell ourselves. And then you fast forward and all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks where you're like, wow, that's not the reality at all. It's a way in which our mind is kind of like helping us survive at like the basic, basic human level. And what I have found over and over and over again is that this is 100% true for myself. When I really started to unpack the reality of my growing up, it was not what I had really been telling myself that it was. And I've often joked saying being gay is the least of my issues. And I think maybe that'll be like my memoir title. But, um, (laughs) you know, so I've had a lot of adversities, which is where I'm going with this. So I have found that with our authors directly, but then also people that I know, people who are really determined and oftentimes successful and they are executing and they are like kicking ass and taking names on a regular basis. If you start to uncover kind of their past, a lot of times, not exclusively, but a lot of times there's some deep level of adversity that's causing them to want to be better and do better. Mm. So I think that you have that kind of concept wrapped in this whole, like I'm, (laughs) 
you know, I don't want to be identified or labeled as somebody that's marginalized. So it's not direct comparison there, but it's, it's really very tightly related. So adversity has a huge, huge piece of this. So, you know, when we're working with our authors, it's not something that's necessarily spoken about. Sometimes it is, but it's not always spoken about, but it's like, I see them and I get them and they see me and get me. Therefore, when you have that common base level of some level of marginalization, whether we're talking about someone who's a person of color or someone who's a trans person in our community or someone who, you know, is a cisgender gay white man, like we have different levels of kind of responsibility to one another. And I think when we kind of go into a situation where it's like, I get you now, let's make it better. Hmm. Then you're kind of starting at a completely different starting point than if you were working with somebody who didn't really understand that fundamental difference with people who are coming from a quote unquote marginalized background. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love this. And I, I don't know if this is the right way to also kind of address what you just said, but it almost seems to me like you're saying that your adversity, your challenges in your past can be your motivation to excel rather than your excuse to say, I can't achieve that. 100%. I think people fall into two buckets. They either excel and they go to great degrees to excel, or they can't get out of their way and they don't do anything with that adversity. And I think people, and I'm sure there's a spectrum, but in my at least vantage point, I've seen people kind of fall in one or other of those buckets. And, you know, the authors that we work with, they're, you know, they're determined, they're out there to really make an impact in this world. And they're making an impact because they themselves have experienced something that they don't want other people to have to experience. Therefore, they can kind of be the guardians of whatever community that they're serving. And it's really, it's just inspiring to be around people like that all day, every day. Absolutely. And it's inspiring to hear, I think, your message of thinking, okay, now how can I amplify all of these other people's messages and, mm -hmm. and then have this bigger impact than I was initially? Because I think yeah. very oftentimes we get stuck in like, oh, I want to achieve this particular goal. I want to take over publishing. I want to have this much revenue next year. Um, but there's so much more that's involved with it. Those are just the components that help you sustain the business. But the purpose is to get these great messages out there and, and reach more people more efficiently and help lift everyone up. Well, that's exactly it. And what's kind of amazing about it is that I feel like I kind of operate from the left and the right brain where there are plenty of times where I am out there on a stage speaking and loving every minute of it. But there's more often times where I am behind the scenes, minding my business, talking to my authors, talking to my team, and helping them be the ones that are in the spotlight. And I feel like for me, it's an equal sense of excitement and rewarding to see one of our authors that are now out there just really doing an amazing job, or they're hitting bestseller list, or they just sold a thousand books, you know, like their first order of a thousand books. And for me, it's like, it's, it feels as if I am the one who is getting those same achievements, but it's somebody else. And it's just so, um, I feel like that's when you know you're in alignment, or at least for me. Absolutely. Right. We just um, wrapped up a five-week beta course of our credit card payoff course, and we had two women on there, a couple um, who just made so monumental gains. And this was the last, it was technically the last meeting we're supposed to have. I'm, I'm sure we'll stay in touch with them. But after we hung up the Skype call, I started to cry a little bit. I'm like, wow, mm. we just affected somebody's life. And, and that is much better than saying we sold a course. It's right. It's, right. <laughs> it's, it's, That's exactly our, it. our product helped someone and now they're able to live bigger and better and freer lives and focus on what their calling is on this earth. 
Yeah. And think of how many people they're going to impact because now they're living debt free and they have more freedom to really be doing what they enjoy and really impacting the people that they need to be impacting. So it's not just you impacting those two people. It's however many people they're then exponentially impacting. So then your impact is that much greater. Yeah. Exponential. So publishing is a competitive industry and it's a hard industry. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think two books ago, Hillary Clinton struggled to break the hundred thousand mark. So not every author is guaranteed to have a bestseller every time they write a book. What made you, I mean, I understand the, the purpose of it, but what made you think you could take on these challenges and succeed? Naive, uh, being naive and ignorant, maybe. I don't. <laughs> Sometimes that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually have said multiple times that if I had realized the profit margin difference alone between a consulting company and a publishing company, that probably would have scared me off. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of jumped in blind and unknowing, knowing that my calling is to help people, and it's not necessarily to put a book through an assembly line. And there's a lot of publishers out there that do really good work, but it's a very kind of systematized rote goes through like from one stop to the other, like truly like an assembly line. And, you know, it's like, well, we could do that, but that's not what my particular passion and purpose is. So, you know, I think we're carving out a really kind of a different approach to the industry because I know that there are some others out there that have kind of a, a business author focus to them. But for us, you know, I've said this and actually I'll say this on your podcast. I haven't broadly, you know, declared this on my website at this point, but you know, Yay, I often say, information. When yeah, right. This is like, <laughs> I love you know, it. I'm saying it publicly here first. Um, but I feel like straight white men are really the only people that we don't serve well. And it's not to say that we do not have a few straight white male authors because we do. But I know for me that I personally just resonate so much more with someone who is LGBTQ or someone who is a woman or someone who's a a person of color just because there's that deeper sense of motivation and a deeper sense of commitment to the cause versus, you know, someone who's who's used to walking in a place of privilege. They operate very differently. Not to say that, you know, straight white men are bad because that's not true, obviously, but it's just it's a very different kind of experience. So I haven't declared that in our marketing yet, but I'm pretty close to because I, I feel like our message really kind of resonates with people who are, you know, they're writing about topics that other publishers are too afraid to touch in some instances. So it could be something about about, you know, how bad the foster care system is or incest or domestic violence. These are all topics that a lot of publishers are afraid to put their name behind. And for me, as long as it's in the name of helping people, then it's something that we will publish. I don't care how controversial it might be. Um, as long as it's going to help people, that's that's my vetting mechanism. Nice. That is a great precedence to my next question. What is the ideal author and niche or topic that you serve? Well, we have a a range. We only do nonfiction books and memoirs. So we don't do anything fiction related. We do have a publishing partner who's also a lesbian owned business, which was complete by accident and amazing that we connected. So for books that kind of fall outside of our parameters, we have a referral partner that we can send people to, which works out really well. But our authors are really, you know, they're working on a lot of diversity and inclusion in the workplace. That's certainly kind of a big topic. Uh, Racism is also a big topic of ours, social justice related causes. Uh, again, foster care, there, we got we have a handful that are around foster care and domestic violence. And it's not just people who are 
telling their story from a cathartic standpoint, but they're telling it because they want to help someone else Mm -hmm. by letting, you know, having someone kind of understand where they're coming from. And a personal kind of, um, I guess, mission or kind of mantra of mine is that I really truly believe that we could live in so much better of a world if people had less judgment and more empathy. So when I'm looking at books that we're going to publish, I'm really kind of looking through that lens. Is this book going to help someone have less judgment toward whatever that topic is? And will it help somebody be more empathetic to someone from that community in which that author is serving? And if the answers are yes, then that's going to be, you know, in our opinion, kind of a knock it out of the park, because I think most people are coming from a place of ignorance when they just don't know. And it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily their fault that they don't know, but someone has to kind of take the lead and help educate the people who don't know about whatever that topic might be. And that's kind of what most of our authors are doing. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that those are the oftentimes the books that are the ones that connect best with people, the ones that can speak to someone, or you hear a good story, not as in, like you said, it's, it's not a fictional story. It's a true story that makes somebody say, oh, I get it. Or mm-hmm. I don't necessarily get it, but at least I'm glad somebody explained it to me because it now made me think about this particular situation. Well, yeah, and I think that's that's what it is, because I think even as, you know, LGBTQ people, if we really just kind of look at our day to day lives and existences, you know, for the most part, we're really not any different than any other person. But at the same time, we have lived experiences that are very, very different from our straight counterparts. And if we're able to articulate in a very succinct and meaningful way from both kind of an emotional standpoint as well as kind of like a practical standpoint, then someone who picks up our book and reads it, they kind of have that aha moment of like, I never would have thought of that. Like that's kind of the the statement that you want somebody to kind of walk away with is mm-hmm. I never would have thought that that's how your your day-to-day plays out or I never I never would have thought that you need to hide your wedding picture if you have a plumber coming into your house because you don't know what they're, you know, how they're going to feel about you. Right. You know, and that's a, a personal story that I shared in one of my books and every time I speak someone who's already read my book comments on that story in particular. And for me it's just like, yeah, well that's just kind of an everyday experience. Like that's no big deal. But the reality is our experiences are a big deal to people who don't know what those experiences are. Right. So it sounds like you're focused on books, which is brilliant too, I think, because maybe just serendipitous, that will either affect or inspire change, if at the very least a change in thinking. Yes. And the change can happen by, you know, one person reading the book. You know, to me, that's a success somebody else having, you know, an order of 5,000 books for a conference, that's also a success. But I think that we set expectations for our authors in a very specific way to not be judging the success of their book based on what Amazon sales data says or what any other benchmark might be in the world. Like every expectation is really around like, what can that book do for you? What does that book do for your business? How does that book serve your community? We have a couple of books that sell a couple thousand every month. And then we have a couple books that you know, sell maybe a copy or two a month. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that the book that's only selling a copy or two, that that book is not significantly impacting the lives of those who pick it up. But oftentimes we're paying attention to the metrics of the person who's selling 3000 copies month Mm -hmm. over month. And of course they're making a bigger impact, but you have to kind of be looking at that smaller impact too. So that way you don't get discouraged because people are still benefiting from what you're putting out. Absolutely. 
David and I have been over the last couple of years trying to encourage more LGBTQ people to consider becoming entrepreneurs, whether that's just as a sort of a side hustle or even if it evolves into a main hustle, because we provides not only um, better experiences for us, but it also positions LGBT people in more positions of authority, having those experiences and those credentials behind you. Where mm-hmm. would publishing a book fit into that sort of strategy for LGBT people who want to become an entrepreneur, have their own business? I feel, and of course I'm biased, but I feel like having a book early on in that endeavor is going to position someone exponentially greater than someone who's been in the space for a decade and doesn't have a book. Because there's a lot of data that can kind of show, especially from a speaking engagement standpoint or a consulting standpoint. So if you're selling widgets, it may or may not be as impactful. But if you're selling a service or selling your time, if you look from a competitive standpoint and you have person A who has been doing this for a decade and doesn't have a book and you have person B who is just dabbling in this for like six months and has a book, person B is going to get more opportunities than A based on just having that book as thought leadership. So I think for someone who is considering kind of jumping into this, it's a matter of figuring out like, you know, what does your, what do you want your business to look like? And does a book legitimately fit in that marketplace? And you can do some research on Amazon and, you know, just see what your competition is doing. You know, if everyone doesn't have a book, the first question you might want to ask is why don't they have a book? Mm. It could just be because the barrier to entry to publish a book is it's high. It can be steep. Or is it because that industry doesn't really, you know, a book doesn't really impact that industry. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, really just being strategic and mindful. I do believe that everyone has a story and everyone should tell their story, but that doesn't mean that doing so in a fully published book is always the best way for people. Sometimes it's just, you know, contributing a short story. Sometimes it's doing a podcast. Sometimes it's just a blog, whatever it happens to be. Um, So it's just a matter of making sure that works well for you. But I do think it's a huge part of growing a thought leadership platform. Okay. So I'm sold on the idea of pursuing my dream of starting my own business of some sort. And Mm -hmm. you've convinced me that I should have a book, preferably at the earlier stage of that leg of my career. What services and support does Publish With a Purpose provide that potential author? We have uh, our kind of flagship program, for lack of a better phrase, is our Authors Academy. And it basically takes someone from start to finish of publishing a book. And that's the program that I had started back in 2016. And I've run probably close to a dozen times now. And it's a it, we have a live version that has somewhere between like four and eight people per class, just because for me, having that uh, individual being able to actually still have a conversation because we're not packing 20 people into an online program. You know, we'll do four sessions with five people versus one with 20 people. And that really just goes from point A to point Z of the publishing process. So even from kind of the the minutia of the writing, like how do we, how do you create a writing ritual that's going to work that you can actually get the book done? And then it kind of goes into, you know, how does your personal brand play into your book? How do you have to update your website to note that you're an author. And then it goes into how to hire a cover designer, how to hire an editor, how to get your book on Amazon, how to get it onto Barnes and Noble. And it goes through 
every possible facet of the process that I have known to be a true sticking point for people and where people get screwed over the most. Because for me, mm-hmm. it's all about protecting people from what they don't know. And in a lot of cases, you know, people don't know what they should pay an editor. People don't know how much they should get a book cover, you know, how much should a book cover cost? You know, you'll have someone that's going to quote you $5,000 and you have someone else that's going to say, oh, it'll cost you five bucks. Neither of those things has to be accurate. (laughs) So, you know, how do we, how do we navigate to what that right price is? And that in and of itself helps save authors who are self-publishing a lot of money because now they know what the true parameters are and they know the right questions to ask to vet the relationships properly. So that's kind of our primary program. But if somebody has a manuscript that's already written and they're looking to have it published, that's certainly a conversation that I would, you know, welcome the chance to talk to. And, you know, if we're not the right fit, I'm always providing resources to other opportunities that could be the right fit. So you can help someone who wants to go through the entire process of self-publishing, which has been lucrative for lots of authors. Mel Robbins is currently one of its biggest fans. Um, Mm. and She's quite notable. Or you can help somebody just publish the book for them, it sounds like. Yeah, it's pretty much the those two paths, absolutely. And at least for our Authors Academy, we have an imprint called PYP Academy Press. So it's basically, you know, anyone who goes through the program and they follow our directions. We just had somebody who launched on November 13th, I believe it was, and he immediately hit the bestseller list in like four or five different categories on Amazon. And he followed our program to an absolute T. And, you know, it, like that's how we create change and make impact is by having the right resources and the right framework to be able to get the visibility for your book in the best possible way. So for him, he published under our PYP Academy Press because he did follow directions. It's a really good quality book. It looks amazing. And so that's kind of like a, an inherent benefit. So instead of it looking like it's self-published, you're still publishing under our imprint. It's just mm-hmm. our self-publishing imprint, if you will. Got you. And so to our listeners who are thinking about publishing their own book and want to dismiss the idea of going the self-publishing route. David and I know from experience, we have several colleagues and friends who have gone the traditional route and a couple of them have had great experiences, but so many of them going the traditional path has been a horrible experience and they haven't broken even at all. Some of them aren't, you know, aren't able to pay back their publisher what their upfront costs were. Um, So it can be very cumbersome and laborious and it's not a guaranteed success if you've got that big label behind you. No, it's not. And I think that that's one of the the sad parts. And that's what I spend a lot of my days doing is really just kind of educating people around the publishing industry itself, because there is traditional publishing and there is self-publishing, which are real, they're worlds apart and they both have their individual pros and cons. And so I will gladly talk to anybody as long as it's, you know, nonfiction or memoir related to be able to say, you know, here, based on what you're telling me, based on the size of your audience, based on, you know, your, your goals, et cetera. I am fully honest with people and say, you know what? I actually think pursuing a traditional publishing route makes sense for you mm-hmm. here. You know, here's my recommendation for your next steps to kind of go out and see what you can do. But traditional publishing is very discerning. So they mm-hmm. don't, you know, you have to really prove yourself for a traditional publisher to want to take you on. And oftentimes the people that they will take are the people that don't really need them. And that's kind of <laughs> exactly. the catch 22. Exactly. Yeah. Now we were kind of, yeah. when we were first shopping our, our book, 
the four principles of a debt-free life decades ago, it seems. Kindly enough, an agent responded back to us and said, hey guys, you know the book is great, but you don't have a platform. No traditional mm-hmm. publisher is going to take a gamble on you because you haven't been on Oprah. You don't have a TV show. You don't have a radio show. You've got nothing. So build your platform and then worry about it. To your point, I'm, I'm glad that, that that agent said that. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to kind of watch. And I think that people have this misconception that if they go a traditional publishing path, that they don't have to spend any money <laughs> and that the publisher will handle all of the marketing for them. And neither of those no. things is true. Right. <laughs> Not at all. So, yeah. And it's unfortunate because, again, you know, there's a lot of predatory publishers out there. Not the, you know, the, the big five New York publishers. They're not predatory. Like it's their business model to operate the way that they do. And they do incredible work. Mm-hmm. It's that middle tier of self-publishing service companies or hybrid publishers like us that are going to be hounding you saying, you know, you need to update your book. You need to do a a volume two and we're going to charge you $20,000 to do that. And it's like, you know, you don't need a second edition of your book and you certainly don't need to be paying someone else to be in there fiddling with it if you've already done the hard work. So, you know, or, you know, a lot of, I see this all the time that our authors will forward me emails that they get and I don't know where or how they end up on these lists, but it's like, oh, you should spend 3000 a month in Facebook advertising. And it's like, these very blanket random emails and they'll be like, oh, is this something I should consider? I'm like, no, your people are not on Facebook. Do not. Yeah. yeah. yeah know where your audience happens. is. <laughs> yeah. And they, they do. It happens all the time. No and it just, you know, it drives me crazy. But I feel like to some degree, like it's my responsibility to help them realize that no, your people aren't on Facebook. Although, you know, to some degree, everyone's people are a little bit on Facebook. But, you know, like let's really look at where you should be spending money. Right. And is it Google advertising? Maybe yes, maybe no. Is it doing your own events? Maybe yes, maybe no. But there's going to be services and companies that help you do all of those services. But if someone's not properly vetting them, they're going to end up spending a ton of money that they don't need to spend. And then they're, you know, then then they're back in the red when they might have started out in the black. Right. And that's the kind of guidance you're not really going to get from a traditional publisher because they don't typically have, unless you are Hillary Clinton, they don't have the bandwidth to provide the smaller authors that much time and attention. No, not at all. Not at all. And that's why I personally love doing this type of work because I get to really kind of roll up my sleeves and dive into people's businesses to say, you know, like a lot of times it ends up crossing outside of the book itself. It's more of like, all right, let's really take a step back and like, you know, who is your target reader? And is that actually who your target client is? And sometimes the answer is no, but the authors are kind of coming to the table thinking they know the right direction. And sometimes it's actually not that direction at all. So, you know, it's good because then we get to kind of dive in and start to pull the layers of the onion back and really help them kind of move forward in a really, you know, and in more enhanced and successful way. This is great. I think that there's a couple of reasons why, but I'm going to kind of focus on one. And I think that mm-hmm. you're kind of helping individuals realize that their book is a part of their business. And yes. I... <laughs> So many people, and I think John and I had this uh, incorrect thinking that the book was the business and that that's not necessarily the case. And I think that you probably have a little bit of this business mindset because that's where you come from, right? You are an entrepreneur. You understand what it's like to launch your own business, whether it was your consulting business or now the publishing business. You came from this background of being an entrepreneur. So what attracted you to that? How did you you become an entrepreneur? (laughs) 
I feel like that's such an interesting question because I feel like it has always just been in my DNA. And I don't know why, because neither of my parents were entrepreneurial. And I don't ever remember having any relatives or family friends around me that were. But I can remember back to when I was really little, knowing always in my being that I wanted to own my own business. I didn't know what that was. And when I was like 14, I remember declaring that I was going to own a printing company. I had no <laughs> idea what that actually meant. But it's kind of interesting to fast forward a couple decades and it's like, all right, it's not a printing company, but we certainly do a lot of printing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. But I, I think you're, you're right. Like for me, it's kind of like this just love of learning and like a, just kind of a lifetime learner. So I think what's really awesome is that when we work with a new author, we're getting a really different vantage point to what their topic is, what their business is, how they serve people, and exposure to different types of business models. So the more authors that we work with, we as a team end up just being able to serve the next author in an even more comprehensive way because now we have that new skill set from whatever that previous author was. And it all just kind of you know keeps on compiling on itself, which is a really kind of interesting thing because no two authors you know, they might look on the surface really similar, but there's really very little overlap, you know, the ways in which they operate their businesses. And it's really fascinating. That's nice. May I ask, did you have a lot of LGBT people in your life growing up? I did not. Although in hindsight, probably when I was like 20, I realized that we had lesbians that lived across the street from us. Mm -hmm. And I did not know it at the time. I just remember playing with their dog. You know, they were just kind of just, you know, two random lesbians living across the street in the woods because I grew up <laughs> kind of in the middle of nowhere. But they didn't really have any influence or impact because I didn't realize anything about them until I was like in my 20s. The reason I ask that is because part of the reason why I think LGBT people are conditioned to be entrepreneurial, not blanket across the board, everybody, but I think we've had to navigate a lifetime of being LGBT in a straight world. Mm -hmm. And that kind of makes us just think and see things a little bit differently. And then I think that can lend itself to success if we vector it correctly to navigating the business world. Um, and we can provide something unique and different that the business world doesn't already even have is, I think, exactly what you're doing with Publish with a Purpose. I completely agree. I think it goes back to that idea of adversity. Like we are used to kind of operating from an underdog position. And for me, you know, I was doing freelance work as, you know, graphic design and web design when I was in college still. And when I got my first job out of college, I had stayed there for about five, a little over five years, but it was a really hostile work environment where I was called a dyke or I heard uh, people in customer service you know, making statements about there's a faggot on the line. And this was in like 2004. And this was kind of like my everyday experience. And some days were worse than others. And I had months at a time where no one would say anything. But it was that really shitty experience in the workplace that I was like, you know what, this isn't for me. Like I can't be confined by an organization that is going to treat me like this or treat our customers like this. And that was really kind of the, the pivotal point where I just finally hit my breaking point. I'm like, you know what, I'm out. And I just quit my job one day. And then I went straight into full-time work for myself ever since. But it was really that catalyst of being treated really poorly in the workplace that was the kind of the catalyst to make me say, this mm -hmm. is not the life for me. 
It's so funny, but this is you're telling your true life example of what we mentioned earlier, that that adversity has, you had a choice. You could either have cowered and just said, I'm going to hide, or I'm going to try in some manner to break free from this and excel. And I think yeah, we're all better yeah. for it <laughs> that you did. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's actually the first chapter of the most recent book that I published, Beyond the Rainbow, because it really had such a profound impact on how I operated in the workplace, but also has profound changed how I help companies. But, you know, it just kind of goes to the fact that a lot of companies want to market to our community, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing and their policies internally aren't in alignment. So in the company that I was working with, the policies certainly were not in alignment. So it's like, why, you know, why would I want to stay in an environment like that? But you're right. You know, some people might have just sucked it up and been like, all right, I'm just going to get through this. But for me, it was like, I have been worn down to nothing. So there's really nowhere to go but up. Right. So before we wrap up, I want to touch on the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce for a little bit. You know, one here, the Defrey guys are telling me I need to start my own business, and that sounds daunting. And now Jen D. Grace is telling me I need to publish a book, and that sounds daunting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although she will walk you through the steps of doing that. I will. <laughs> but what attracted you to the NGLCC, and, and what value have you gotten from it? So I have been involved in NGLCC since 2006. So it's been 12 years, which kind of seems crazy because I think they're just celebrating their 16th anniversary. (laughs) And it was partially when I was working for that company that I was mentioning before, where I just realized like how toxic of an environment it was for me as an LGBTQ person. And I just started doing research to see, you know, what what was out there for LGBT people. And I think my search was probably like LGBT business or something like that. I wasn't thinking entrepreneurial at the time. I wasn't thinking business owner at the time. I was just very much looking for like professional resources. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled upon them in 2006. And I joined as a member when they used to have like one national or they had like a national membership. Mm-hmm. And then in 2007, the Connecticut chapter formed and I was part of that as the marketing person. And then it really kind of evolved from there because my first event, I didn't even know what a chamber of commerce really was. I had no idea what it did. I had no idea what it was. Um, you think that having the kind of entrepreneurial roots that I had, I might have known that, but I had no <laughs> clue. And I kind of just showed up and and hoped for the best. And it's been, you know, 12 years in the making. And I, I feel like NGLCC is such an incredible resource because I their conferences, the national conference, the you know, affiliate chambers that are all over the world at this point, you know, they're doing really awesome things. And their primary focus is to serve LGBT business owners. So it's the best possible place to get the resources and access to the different things that you might need to start your business or to grow your business. And like, that's really their primary focus. And, you know, I I couldn't recommend becoming a member in one way or another, or just showing up, you know, to the national conference and checking things out and just kind of going from there because it will exponentially be a catalyst to the growth of your business, hands down. Nice. So, so to the extent that Jen T. Grace can help you from soup to nuts, publish your book. The NGLCC can be a resource to help you not only start your business, but help grow it and so position you to thrive. Um, so you're not, if you decide to go down these paths, you don't have to go it alone. You can have resources, actual human beings, <laughs> mm-hmm. help you out along the way to, to position you for success. And if someone can't you know, be a direct resource to you, uh, we found so often, they can connect you with somebody who might be able to be. Um, and that's kind of totally. the network that you would be building if you're as an entrepreneur and a member of the NGLCC. 
Yeah. And you know, what's kind of crazy is that I was looking at, I'm as kind of like a a marketer at heart and I was looking through, you know, like what are the commonalities of our authors and just kind of looking at things. And I can tell you that, and I have my spreadsheet in front of me, (laughs) 71% of my business comes from NGLCC, whether it's directly or indirectly from the NGLCC network. That's 71%. That is huge. It is a huge number. And, you know, every time you show up, more opportunities kind of come your way. And, you know, I was surprised. I knew the number was high. It's actually 38% is direct from NGLCC. And then the indirect is, you know, 33%. And that's people who I know from NGLCC who are referring me to people that they know. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, and I think it's because of, you know, me being a lesbian owned business. And, I, you know, I feel like at NGLCC, I feel like I'm with my people. It's kind yes. of the craziest thing. Yes. But it's like, it's the one time of year for me, it's like a family reunion because I've been going for 10 years now. You know, uh, 2019 will make my 11th year, which seems absolutely crazy. And I haven't missed a year since. And it really, it's just like a family reunion. Every year you see people that you know and you love and every year you meet new people. And it's just a really kind of comfortable environment for anybody, even if they're brand new. So I would encourage people to check it out. And if I'm happy to talk to people about that too, I'm I'm really passionate. I'm not paid by NGLCC to promote them in any way, but I, I really believe in what they do. And I do run uh, the boot camp on the first day of the conference for any new attendees. So I'm happy to share all that I know to kind of make the experience um, as best as it can be. Awesome. Yeah, we love we loved it. This was our this past year was our first year, and you were the introductory. Uh, speaker. speaker and we loved seeing you there because <laughs> that's really like, uh, I think that's when we realized that you were actually going to be there and your boot camp <laughs> was awesome it really helped us feel not only feel comfortable but one of the biggest things was I started thinking differently mm. while we were there because of things that you said and I'm just going to leave it at that because that's a whole nother story that could go sure into a whole is. nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> and this is not nearly on topic but during your presentation you talked about regardless of the value you see in it you take the swag from whoever it is that's giving it to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and David and I were at FinCon a conference personal finance conference we go to every year um, a couple months after the NGLCC conference where you gave that presentation and we were going around talking to different booths and networking and, and talking and somebody offered us some swag and I originally was like, oh, I don't, I don't need that, but thank you very much. And Dave was like, oh, I love that. We'll take it. And then we walked away. He's like, Gen T Grace told you to always take the swag. (laughs) (laughs) So good save. Love it. So I also have a 10 year old at home that's obsessed with everything rainbows at this point. So (laughs) um, yeah, Yeah. you can definitely get some good rainbows. Lots of rainbow swag. Yes, definitely. So to sort of wrap it up, whether it's the publishing angle or the entrepreneurial angle or, or whatever, what, general advice do you have for LGBTQ people who are considering becoming more entrepreneurial in their life? I really think it, and of course I'm going to focus on purpose because I, I really feel like having that foundational purpose it helps you weather the storms because as an entrepreneur, you know, before we even hit record, we're kind of talking about kind of the concept of like, can you be employable? Like, you know, it's nice to know I could go get a six figure job. Great. Yes. But I personally don't think I could be employed by somebody else. And I think it's my real clarity on what I am doing in this world that makes 
it easy to, or easier, I shouldn't say easy because it's not, but easier to kind of weather the highs and lows, whether it's the cash flow, because like I, I have a very, very cyclical cash flow cycle that I, you know, I know it to a T at this point. And it's some very steep highs and some really deep lows. Mm. And I think because of knowing why I'm doing what I'm doing and who I'm serving and for what greater purpose my business exists, it helps me kind of navigate those like, oh, I have to figure out how to make payroll tomorrow. And I'm waiting for all of this money to come in that's not coming in yet. Um, You know, like it's all of those things that that can really kind of scare and deter new business owners. Mm -hmm. So I think that if you at least know like, all right, I'm doing this and I'm, you know, shaving years off my life with uh, stress, I'm doing it for a greater good. So I would advise on, you know, somehow trying to determine what your purpose is, because if you're just selling something for the sake of selling it or you're haphazardly kind of interested in what you do, the first kind of sign of something wrong or something that you encounter that you don't know how to fix or don't know how to don't understand or don't know who to ask for help, it'll be really easy to just kind of close your doors down and say, like, you know what, this isn't for me. But if you start with that purpose, you'll find a way. You know, it's the whole cliche, like where there's a will, there's a way. Mm -hmm. If you know your purpose, you will find that way. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better note to end on. So thank you so much, Jen T. Grace, yes, for joining us. We you. appreciate it. You are very welcome. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jen, for sharing your experience in the world of queer entrepreneurship. And thank you for continuing to be a supporter of the Debt Free Guys and of the Queer Money Podcast. Finally, to our listeners, this episode of Queer Money was brought to you by the Budget Buster Bundle. Budget like a badass with the Budget Buster Bundle that you can get at the Debt Free Guys shop at debtfreeguys.com forward slash shop. We'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.